It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to kick the weekend off a little early uh, with uh, a couple of very interesting interviews uh, during today's edition of the show. Um, The third half of our three-hour tour, or at 11 o'clock, we're going to talk with a uh, film historian about a um, phenomenal filmmaker, actually. Uh, Otto Preminger, The Man Who Would Be King, is the name of the book by Foster Hirsch, and Foster will join me here during that third half of our three-hour tour. In the middle, we got uh, back-to-back interviews, starting with um, Lily Anderson, uh, author of a book that uh, may be burgeoning a new category of fiction called New Adult. Uh, The book is uh, The Throwback List. We'll talk with Lily about that, and we'll follow that up with a conversation of the uh, host of a uh, humorous countdown music show on Access TV called The Top Ten Revealed. They've just started their new uh, season, and host Katie Darrell will be joining me uh, during the second hour to talk about their show, or, which the new season got underway starting uh, just just this past Halloween. And uh, 
we're starting to show out. This is going to be a little heavy. A lot of it's over my head. But we're going to talk about universalism with uh, poet and philosopher Nicholas Hager, uh, author of uh, a new book called The Selected Letters. So we'll have that going. And, of course, as always, uh, some comedy and music as well on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program, wrapping up this uh, first couple of days of uh, November and we got past Halloween and we're on our way to uh, the holiday season. A lot of cool stuff coming up. So stay tuned. And welcome back everybody. This is the uh, Tom Sumner program. My guest this hour is... um, a poet, man of letters, cultural historian, philosopher, and the author of a new book, uh, Selected Letters, that draws together those of his letters written over 60 years that aid the interpretation of his works. And he joins me now from the UK by phone. His name is Nicholas Hager. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tom, and greetings to you from the UK. Um, Nicholas for people who maybe aren't familiar with, uh, you've written 56 books and 2,000 poems, but for someone who is maybe just learning about you for the first time, can this book, Selected Letters, give them a a, a decent look, um, uh, overview, if you will, of, of your work over the years? Okay. Um, in fact, I've done uh, 55 books, uh, uh, I think, currently, um, and uh, starting in about 1991, um, I, they all stem from universalism, as do the letters. Um, universalism is a new philosophy that I developed over the years, um, and it sees the, uh, the well, it focuses on the unity of uh, the universe and of all humankind. Now that may seem a fairly abstract sort of thing, but what happened in my case um, and what brought the books to being was um, I was in Japan in the 1960s and I had a certain experience um, which uh, people encounter on the mystic way and it bewildered me and I didn't know what was happening. But uh, I found I was on a kind of journey which took 30 years, actually, 29 years. And the end of it was the unity of life, where you see everything as a unity, everything as a union. The the reason um, analyzes and sees differences, but there's a deeper part of oneself where everything's connected beneath the surface, and including all the disciplines. And having been a professor of English literature in Japan, I came out of that and wanted to be cross-disciplinary and uh, find out what was happening in a number of disciplines. And so, if you like, I was doing 20 or 30 years research along this new way of thinking. And uh, out of it came um, books in seven disciplines. And the first one was The Fire and the Stones, which looked at 25 civilizations and saw them all going through 61 stages and America being the youngest um, in stage 15, the same stage as the Roman Empire. 
and then more into philosophy with the universe and the light. And the ph philosophical strand came out, came to an end with um, the new philosophy of universalism. Um, meanwhile, there were other disciplines, um, for example, uh, literature, of course, which was a kind of staying point. But I found that the I wrote a book called A New Philosophy of Literature, which um, gives the fundamental theme of, of uh, world literature. All literature conforms to either a quest for the one, which is the more mystical side, or condemning follies and vices. And so I brought out a number of books like that. In fact, while I was doing my literature, um, we'll get to the politics in a minute, uh, while I was doing the literature, I wrote two epic poems on war. One was Overlord, which was about the Second World War, and the other was uh, Armageddon, which was about the war on terror. And both my heroes were Americans. So Eisenhower for the first and Bush Jr. for the second. Um, and I've, I've taken an interest in America in the course of my books, and I wrote an American trilogy in the early 20th, 21st century, beginning with um, the secret founding of America, and then the secret American dream, and finally the secret American destiny. And I'd met Ezra Pound in 1970 to discuss the way forward for the first epic. But um, in the 1990s, strangely, I acquired the house in England, Otley Hall, where the Jamestown voyage was planned for 1606-1607, the founding of America. And one of the letters is to President Clinton suggesting that uh, the 400th anniversary should be based on 1606-1607, and that's what happened 10 years later in 2007. Um, and then international politics and statecraft um, has been a thread, and through my two epics on war, I concluded that nation-states um, are never far from war. The more you beat the drum for your nation, the more likely there's going to be a war. Um, and so many uh, distinguished people called for um, a world state, a democratic world state, after um, the atomic bombs. I mean, at that time, in 1945, it was Truman, and it was Einstein, it was Churchill, Eisenhower, Gandhi, Russell, J.F. Kennedy, and Gorbachev. So America's strongly represented there as seeing that the way forward is through um, bringing in a kind of federal, partly federal, world uh, government and world state, which could... Um, abolish war, enforce disarmament, um, combat disease, famine, disease, and poverty, um, and solve all the world's financial and environmental and now recently virological problems. So we could do with something like that now that the virus, COVID, has rampaged across the world. And right now there's a meeting about climate change, and it's sort of what the world is lacking is real energy and money at the top, bringing everybody together to get these things done. And uh, possibly President Biden sees himself as advancing that. Who knows?
Nicholas, um, let me... So does that give a, a, a flavour of the work? It's in several disciplines, a lot of literature, quite a bit of history, philosophy, politics, current affairs, um, mysticism, comparative religion. Um, let me tell, let me let me see if I can you know, pull a couple of things out of that. Um, hmm. I, I I wish my introduction had done you justice because I didn't mention that you taught at Tokyo University or, or that you um, had studied Islamic and Oriental philosophy. But you said something early on, Nicholas, that that I wanted to pick up on because I've asked a lot of religious scholars this question, you said that there's a common thread that runs through all of the philosophies, or something to that effect. Um, and, and I've asked religious scholars if there are certain um, issues... Uh, all of, I can do is tell you about my journey and how the books developed out of it, but I do think it's universal. And... Um, what happened to me in Japan was um, I had the first experience, a kind of awakening to experiencing the inner light or the light. And six years later, in 1971, I had a full experience of illumination. And Pascal had this in 1654, and he was so he regarded it as so important that he he sewed the date that it happened into the lining of his doublet, and he actually wore it as a kind of remem in, in remembrance of it. Um, the mystic way takes you through um, illumination. Well, first of all, it's awakening, and then it's purgation, and then illumination, and there are dark nights in it, and eventually to this unity of living where every moment of the day you're just aware of the unity of everything instinctively. You don't have to try, you know, it's just there. And this happened to me. I didn't really seek it. And um, uh, sort of several, several people who are present extremely interested in that. I've been, I've been asked to contribute to a, a book that's coming out um, with a number of professors and others. Um, and so, so that's semi-religious. Now, I happen to get my first job in Iraq, which was a backwater in 1961. I didn't know um, that it was going to be the center of everything in sort of the 1990s and after 9-11. Um, and so I, I saw Islam at first hand there, and then in Japan, um, Buddhism. And I, my, one of my pupils was Emperor Hirohito's second son, and I taught him world history for about um, three and a half years and learned quite a bit from him about the the imperial religion of Shinto and so on. And somehow or other, having traveled a lot, I've assembled from all religions and in universalism, all religions are one. I, I say this carefully, but there's a kind of common experience of the light. It's like climbing a mountain. There are various paths up the mountain and there's a sun at the top. It's just one sun that you, you see. More about universalism with poet, historian, and philosopher Nicholas Hager. Straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about universalism with poet, historian, and philosopher Nicholas Hager straight ahead. How, how did the light come to you? You said you didn't seek it, but it came to you. And and how did that happen? Did it happen during a time of, of was, study, was work, or was there in Saki Japan, involved? I was working quite hard. Um, but a, a number of, it was a kind of center shift that was happening from my rational social ego to my deeper core. Um, and uh, there were various dreams, and I put quite a bit of it in a long poem I was writing at the time, The Silence. And that is really part, part three of The Silence, which is about 1400 and something lines. Um, catches what was happening in, in, in the moment. And of course, I kept diaries. Um, and it took me some while to understand that this light was like the sun shining in a puddle. I was the puddle, if you like. So it, the light wasn't from me, it was from outside, behind closed eyes. But in 1971, on the 10th of September, I had a very dazzling um, experience of it, which lasted a long time, and which, as I say, turned me away from being a professor in one subject to wanting to understand what this was and the the universe that includes this and this metaphysical strand. And all the metaphysical poets have this. You can find the light everywhere in metaphysical poetry. And I mean, if you go back into the past, um, St. Augustine wrote in 400, I entered within myself, I saw with the eye of my soul, above or beyond my mind, the, the light unchangeable. He called it the light unchangeable for 1,600 years ago. And Hildegard of Bingen um, said it was more brilliant than the sun. And it is. It's really dazzling. And it comes to you. And I don't know whether you're chosen or whether it's you know, so, somehow you're ready for it. And many people aren't. But when you're ready, it happens to everybody. It's hard to say. What I do know is that the churches knew all about this in the 17th century. And after about 1880, it's hardly in existence at all. And it's everywhere in English literature in the 1700s. That, that makes me curious. T.S. Eliot talks of the fire and the rose are one. So it's a fire or a light. Um, but there's just that one reference, really, in 20th century literature. You know, we've turned secular. And just to finish with one more point. In my history, I see these 25 civilizations as beginning with a vision of the light by a kind of prophet like Muhammad in his cave, who saw the Quran, the first page of the Quran in fire, or like Jesus, the light of the world. And um, the civilization increases and grows as people hear about it and gather from their villages, and as in the, the rise of Islam, it, it became a kind of empire fairly quickly. But it, the, the revision was supported by all the locals. But there comes a time when it turns secular, when, when the vision gets lost, and then it starts going down. It's like a rainbow. It goes up, and, and then it slowly goes down. And most places in the world, it's going down now. It's on the on the downward, secular. I, I was going to ask the American, how the, the American experience. I was going to say your 
you, you, you started in 1607, weirdly, from um, a voyage that was planned in the house that I owned for seven years and opened to the <laughs> public, and we had tens of thousands round, including the governor of Virginia and distinguished American guests, which makes me feel again that I'm a kind of semi-American writer, or at least a guest American writer, having written about so much sure. to do with America, even though I'm writing in the UK. This this experience that you describe happened to you and, and to other writers that you've uh, cited, um, it, is it similar to the kind of revelations that, that that Christians have when they say they've found God or found Jesus or, um, you know... Other... Yes, I, I, think, I think Paul had it, St. Paul, the, on the road to Damascus, um, what, how he describes what happened to him on the road to Damascus, the, the complete conversion, was, was the experience of the light, where he stopped being a tax collector and changed his life. And I, I do think, I mean, I... I'm wider than religion, as I've tried to make clear, also philosophy, also international politics and statecraft, also the rise and fall of civilizations, which is one of the titles of my books uh, in history. Um, So I'm trying to understand the truth and what's going on. And um, because I've sought the truth, um, the the letters that that we're getting back to eventually... Um, reflect this search for the truth. So the letters weren't written with a view to be there being published. They were written about my books. The publisher wrote and asked about this book, and so the letters there, and it throws light on that particular book. The, these letters um, doesn't know me yet. There's a website, and if I may just yeah, mention please. that, it's www. Dot Nicholas, that's N I C H O L A S Hager H A W G E R dot com, and um, there's a lot about it, and all, all the covers are up there, and it's a lot to take in in one go. But nevertheless, if you look in the, in, the, in the time of the Renaissance, Michelangelo and Leonardo weren't just painters or sculptors. You know, they did all sorts of things. They worked in eight, nine, ten disciplines um, simultaneously. Leonardo was quite a, quite a scientist who made scientific discoveries, along with doing other things. And the civilization used to have this, this ability to move between disciplines. It all got so specialized today that, that that's been lost. And I've tried to supply that gap and be a kind of everything person, a universalist who is interested in everything and sees everything in the universe and tries to show what the pattern is and the truth of what's happening out there, and also humankind, which is why it would be good to have um, a, a federal world government. As I see it, there would be a lower house, which would be based initially in the UN General Assembly, and would eventually take over from the UN, and there would be a World Senate, and um, it, there would be an elected world president, and America would set it up as being the youngest civiliza- living civilization with the world authority to do so, and the clout, if Russia and China can be sorted out. And um, I've 
in, in my books, The World Government, World State and World Constitution, I've set out all the constituencies and there are 850 seats for an election and the exact number of senators and again what their constituencies would be. So I, I would dearly like to go to the UN and uh, have a session at the UN General Assembly and um, say this to to those there to see if they will vote it in. But um, I, I doubt it. The world's not ready for that yet. But this is the future. There are um, churches in the U.S. Um, that bear the name Universalist. Is there any connection or similarity between Universalist philosophers and the practicers of a Universalist religion? Yes, not really. Um, Universalist Christians uh, sort of have a, a global context for their Christianity, but the philosophy that I've um, come up with and have developed over the over the years um, is wider than that, and it's it's not attached to any one religion, and it's more of a philosophy. It looks back to the pre-Socratic Greeks, to Anaximander of Miletus and others, who um, were actually stunningly right in how the universe was created. And I've looked to see why we're here and what the human destiny is and what civilizations are progressing towards. And this is a much wider... Do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, there was a, a man following um, just just after World War II that started a movement uh, referring to himself as the first world citizen. Do you, do you remember that, or did that make uh, it... Where, where was that? The... Well, what happened was... Um, there was a a, uh, a meeting of of world leaders in I want to say in Paris hmm. following World War Two, and, yes. and and a guy um, and what happened is they um, they established a part of Paris that was considered its own separate autonomous place that it there was no citizenship there yes and there was a, a man an american um who'd been an air force pilot he declared yes. he he yes. I, I i i'm with you now yes i understand and i'm trying to remember his name nicholas and and i can't but he started a movement he became um through some some legal um actually kind of flukes really um he became a citizen of no particular country that's right and it was socrates the greek early greek who said that he was a citizen of the world he was a citizen of athens and he was a citizen of greece and a citizen of the world and ever since socrates said that there's been this school of thought that you're a citizen of the world and in 2015, I actually brought in a world state. It's really, really strange. I was written to by Igor Kondrashin, who is a Russian, who is the leading light in the World Philosophical Forum, which is parallel to the World Economic Forum, where um, Schwab, that's uh, Klaus Schwab, the 
leader has sort of based the, the Great Reset, which everybody's talking about at present. Um, so it's affiliated to that. And he asked me if I would chair the Constitutional Convention to bring in the universal state of the earth. And there were about 50 or 60 international, international philosophers meeting about a mile away from Plato's Academy in Athens, the ruins of the Academy. And that was what appealed to me, having read Plato at school and in the Greek um, and and knowing what he said about philosopher king, uh, the philosopher kings need to run the world, I was being asked to set up a new world state, which did get set up. Um, there will be plaques and so on in the future. Um, not many people have heard of it, and I was only doing it as an interim thing. It wasn't democratic. It was um, basically it came came from Russia and uh, from people who'd left communism and so on. But I, I did it just, just to get the idea spread around. And, of course, the World Economic Forum know about it and others know about it. And that led me into the World Intellectual Forum, which I was a founding member of. So these groups exist, all of which, uh, certainly the, the universal state of the earth has its passport, um, and it's trying to get that recognized at airports. You know, it's early days yet. Yeah, and will the, that grow into a, an embryonic world state? Who knows? The, Who knows? The, the man I'm thinking of actually uh, ended up recruiting uh, ten, if not tens, of thousands of followers, and he was he he opened an office uh, in the the eastern part of the U.S. Um, I'm thinking somewhere in Maine or Massachusetts, but he. Um, he was issuing passports to people. He actually managed to travel a little on his own. And, and I that's, just... that's exactly what the universal state of the earth, which I had a hand in setting up, um, is, is also doing. This idea has been around for quite a while, and I think it was given a huge impetus by the atomic bombs and people from Einstein to... Um, President Truman himself, I think, was quite a quite aghast at it all and wanted to sort of do something that that cemented world peace in the future. And of course, the UN was set up after that. The the UN came out of it. Is um, there um, by the Rockefellers basically because it was their land and they staffed a lot of the original UN. Is there um, is there growth in this idea uh, or this universalist? Uh, movement or is it being blocked well uh, I, I i mentioned some names of people who called for a world state and the way it stands at present i'm the only author that i know of who's actually advocating this which is why i got invited to athens um by by the world philosophical forum um and it, it, it has it, it, so the idea has has surged as it did after the war, as you were describing, and then dropped back. And I, I'm keeping it going and handing it on to a new generation. Um, but I went to—I was invited to Russia a couple of years ago and made a public speech to um, 300 s selected people, including a lot of military people in uniform, about a mile from the Kremlin. And various advisers of President Putin came forward and. 
President Putin wasn't there because he was meeting Kim in Vladivostok. But um, I was asked to write things down and write a letter to President Putin and so on. And um, so there is interest, even from Russia, there's interest in this idea. And I've always said for many years that uh, what Einstein should have done is to have got himself to to have a meeting with Hitler and to have said, don't do it, basically, and save 70 million people being killed in the Second World War. You know, don't invade Poland. Um, and I, I was awarded the Goosey Peace Prize in 2016, so as a peace laureate, I'm very conscious that uh, I want to hand on a peaceful world to my children and grandchildren, and everybody's grandchildren. And anything that can be done to promote peace in what has been a difficult time and what looks like becoming a difficult time, we don't know about COVID and how this was caused. We know that it doesn't seem to be natural. We know that it doesn't seem to be a lab leak. So that leaves a more sinister possibility. We, um, we know that China now has hypersonic missiles which can fly at 3,850 miles per hour, which is a terrific speed, five times the speed of sound. And we know that America is up against it. We know that China, with its Belt and Road Initiative, is now in 140 countries circling the West. We know that the West has basically one, one billion of the world's population supporting it. And we know that China is locking countries into their Belt and Road Initiative of Infrastructure, 6.9 billion. So there are 7.9 billion alive right now. And those, those looking to China are far more than those looking to the West. The West is up against it. And uh, something must be done to preserve the peace. I read in today's paper... Um, that China has decided to quadruple its nuclear arsenal. This is the Pentagon saying this. So all of a sudden we're having China trying to get as many nuclear weapons as the US over a period of time. So we're back to an arms race. You know, now is not a time when we can think, oh, we don't, don't worry about peace, we've done all that, you know, let's, let's do other things. And we've just got to be very wary as to what's going on. Well, Nicholas, I've been trying to think of that man's name. I, I interviewed uh, a filmmaker who had just recently done a, a film about the guy. I think we did that interview about a year ago. And I just cannot remember his name. And, and it, it haunts me that I can't. Um, Nicholas, as you mentioned earlier when you were talking about your website, um, that sounds like a good place for people to go as we're almost out of time. And I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. And you cautioned then that there's a lot of material there and uh, might take more than just a single go to uh, to, to do any kind so of a deep I'd, dive. I'd be delighted to come back when you're ready. I should say that my next book just finished which will be out in 10 months time is the fall of the west and i won't say any more than that the fall of the west oh we so absolutely title yeah i that indeed mean to say that i necessarily believe the west can fall but 
in, in view of the comments I was making just now, you can put two and two together. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Nicholas, this is fascinating, and I feel like we could talk about this for hours, but unfortunately we're out of time. Um, do you want to share that, that website again, please? Yes, thank you very much. So it's it's www.nicholas, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S, Hager, H-A-G-G-E-R, dot com. Well, Nicholas, this is fascinating, and thank you so much for uh, sharing this time with me and the listeners, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Tom, and I've enjoyed talking to you, and best wishes to everybody who's listening. Take care. It was Nicholas Hager, and um, the book is called Selected Letters. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490.
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. About four days ago, a plane landed at Idlewild Airport. The plane came from the Middle East, bearing a man who claims to be 2,000 years old. He spent the last six days at the Mayo Clinic. (laughs) Sir, is it true that you are 2,000 years old? Oh, boy. Yes. You are too... Uh, it's hard to believe, sir, because in the history of man, nobody's ever lived more than 167 years as the man from Peru would claim to be. But you claim to be 2,000. Yes, I'll be... I'm not yet. I'll be... I'll be uh, 2,000 October 16th. Yes. You'll be 2,000... When were you born? We didn't have uh, formal... Years and names and, and writing. We didn't know. I see. And what? nobody kept time. See, we didn't know. We didn't write. We just sat around. Uh, we pointed in the sky and we said, "Whoa, hot boy!" You know. That's all you said. We didn't even know it was the sun. We thought. Uh, you mean you really didn't know we didn't anything? Know anything. We were so dumb and stupid. <laughs> we didn't know who was a lady. <laughs> But they were of, They was with us We didn't know who they were <laughs> We didn't know who was the you, ladies And who was fellas You, you thought it was, they were just Different type of yes, fellas Yes, just stronger Or smaller Or yeah, softer The softer ones I think Were ladies all the time <laughs> well, what, what, How did you find out what They were ladies A cute fat guy Could, he, could have mistaken him for <laughs> Soft and cute Who was the person Who discovered the female Bernie <laughs> Who was Bernie? Bernie, one of the first leaders of, the, of our group. And he discovered the female. Yes. How did it happen? He How said, did it hey, there's, there's ladies here. <laughs> I'm very interested to find out how Bernie discovered the woman. Well, he... How did he, it come to pass? He, one morning, he got up smiling. <laughs> so, he said, I think there's ladies here. <laughs> so, I said, what do you mean, you know? So, he said, because in the night... I was thrilled and delighted, see? <laughs> so then he went into such a story that uh, it's hundreds of years later, I still blush. Sir, could you give us the secret of your longevity? Well, the major thing, the major thing is that I never, ever touch fried food. <laughs> I don't eat it, I wouldn't look at it, and I don't touch it. And, and the... Uh, Never run for a bus. There'll always be another. Even if, even if you're late from work, you know. I never run for a bus. I never ran. I just strolled jaunty, jolly, walking to the bus stop, you know. Yeah, well, there were no buses in the time no, of uh, in my, Iraq. No, in my time, I mean, I... Uh, what was the means of transportation then? Mostly fear. 
Fear transported you? Fear, yes. You would see an animal would, would growl, you would go two miles in a minute. But I suppose you Fear had... would be the main propulsion. Yes, but I think most people are interested in living a long and fruitful life as yes. you have. You mentioned... Fruit is good, too. You mentioned fruit. <laughs> fruit kept me going for 140 years once when I was, I was on a very strict diet, mainly nectarines. I love that fruit. It's a half a peach, half a plum, Sorry. such a hell of a fruit. I love it. Not too cold, not too hot, you know, just nice. What has been Even your... a rotten one is good. <laughs> That's how much I love them. I'd rather eat a rotten nectarine than a fine plum. What do you think of that? I can understand that. Yes, that's how much I love them. Yes, I can understand that. Yes, yes. Sir? Some good things. Sir, what uh, did you do for a living? Well, many years ago, thousands of years ago, there was no heavy industry. We know that. The most uh, things that we manufactured or we made, the most things that we ever made was uh, we would make, uh, take a piece of wood, see, and rub it, and, and rub it, and clean it, and look at it, and hit earth with it, and hit a tree with it. For what purpose? Just to keep busy. There was nothing. <laughs> there was absolutely nothing to do. We had no jobs, don't you What see? other jobs were there? There must have been something else beside hitting a tree with a no, piece of that, stick. That, well, hitting a tree with a piece of stick was already a good job. <laughs> we couldn't get that job, you know? What job? Mainly was sitting and looking in the sky was a big job. And another job was watching each other was one thing. <laughs> that was lifelike, looking at each other. Uh, what uh, language did you speak at that They point? spoke... Uh, uh, rock, basic rock. Basic rock. Yeah. That was before Hebrew. Yeah, well, it was 200 years before Hebrew. was the rock language or rock talk. Could you give us an example yes. of that? Uh, hey, uh, put that, don't throw that rock at me. Put that rock <laughs> hey, now, what are you doing with the rock there? Call a policeman, for God's sake. Put that rock away. I see. That was the rock. Now, do you remember, do you remember your Hebrew, sir? Yes, I... I Would you uh, speak I think I remember it fluently. Because I understand the modern Hebrew is different from the... Uh, yes, it differs in some of the phonetic alliterations and patterns. Yes. Well, yes. Can, can we hear an example of the ancient Hebrew? Uh, the very ancient Hebrew is... Uh, oh, hi there. Hello. Hello there, how are you? I'm all right, how are you? That's English. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, Do you remember any Hebrew? Very little, I think. <laughs> I don't think I remember it. I must have forgot a great deal of it. <laughs> I think you forgot it all, sir. Maybe all, yes. Maybe all. Yes. It's thousands of years since I needed it. In, <laughs> now, Honestly. sir, did you, ever, did you ever have any formal job, as we know it today? Yeah, well, I was a manufacturer. I was an owner. What kind of a factory did you have? I had a... Uh, I used to make the Star of David, the Jewish stars. I was one of the first makers oh, of yes. Yes, the little thing you wear. Uh, yeah, as soon as religion came in, I was one of the first in that. <laughs> I figured this is a good thing. Yes, and how did you make them? Did you have tools? Well, we didn't have uh, lathes. I employed six men. See, each with a point. <laughs> and they used to run together in the middle of the factory. And in their great speeds, they would fuse the thing. And it would Thus make, making a star. Yes, we would make two a day because of the many accidents. <laughs> we have six men running at high oh. speed. But points, you know, plenty of accidents. You never thought of going into anything else? No, I had an author once. What a fella came to me, Simon. What did Simon ask you to do? He said, if you have a new thing, a new item, a winner, it looks like a winning item that is going to be a big seller, it's called a cross. <laughs> and uh, I looked at it, and I turned it over, and I looked in all sides of it, and I said, uh, it's simple. It's too simple. I didn't know then it was eloquent. Uh, <laughs> you mean you, no, you, I didn't know it would be such turned, a hit. You turned him down. And I said, I'm sorry, but I'm too busy. Uh, 
See, I could have, I could have fired four men. Two men run together, bang! You got a cross. <laughs> See, I could have saved. I would, well, I, I would have had over a hundred dollars today if I went in the cross. Just in everywhere. Today. By the way, sir, uh, are you married? I have been married several hundred times. <laughs> several hundred yes. times. Yes. You have been married. Do you remember all your wives? One I remember well. <laughs> Which one was that? The third one, Shirley. <laughs> I remember her. I'm afraid to ask the next question. You had many hundreds of wives. Hundreds and hundreds of wives. How many children do you have? I have over 42,000 children. <laughs> and not one comes to visit me. <laughs> in the afternoon, oh, yes. How they forget a father. Sure. That's awful, sir. It's really... You mean to say there isn't one daughter that Many favors daughters, you? Many daughters, but they... You know how they are. Children, good luck to them. Let them go. And I don't want... Listen, let them be happy. As long as they're happy, I don't care. But they could send a note and write, how you pop, how you doing, pop, you know? Something. No, no they don't. Sir, um... You must have known some great men in your time. You did travel throughout I the world. I knew the great and the near great. Could I ask you about some of these? Certainly. I'll tell you the true, the true whether I knew or not. For instance, people are, people are very interested in somebody like Joan of Arc. A lot has been written about her, and we read a lot uh, about her. Ah, what a cutie. <laughs> Joan of Arc. You knew Joan of Arc. I went with her, dummy. I went with her. <laughs> Nowhere in history do we uh, know of Joan going with anybody. Well, they don't print that. <laughs> they don't print everything. You didn't marry her. No, no, I didn't marry her because she was on a mission, you know. Yes, she used she to say to me, she used to say to me, uh, I gotta save France. I used to say, I look, I gotta wash up. You save France. <laughs> see you later. After you'll save France, I'll wash up, you know. How did you Hold feel? Holding her way, me and mine. Yes. You know? How did you feel about her being burnt at the stake? Terrible. <laughs> see, I didn't, I didn't know. About some of the legendary characters who supposedly might have existed. For instance, Robin Hood. Did he exist? Oh, yeah. Lovely man. Ran right around in the forest. Did he really steal from the rich and give to the poor? No, he didn't. He didn't. He stole from everybody and kept everything. <laughs> well, how, did legend, how did legend? How did legend spring up that he was. He had a fellow Marty. Marty, the press agent, ran in all the papers and wrote in scrolls. He took them to rich and gave to the poor. Who knew? Who knew? He'd give you such a knock in the head when they robbed you, you wouldn't remember anything. So in other words, uh, we... He was a tough guy. I hate to have our, our legendary figures smashed like well, this. Well, I hate to smash him for it. Yes. Well, did you, you... You've lived so long. Did you ever have an accident in all this time? An accident? Oh, an accident. Oh, an accident. Yes. Yes, in the, in the year 61... I was hit, uh, I was run over by seven men fleeing a lion. <laughs> they ran me over. That, that's the extent of all the... But they didn't have insurance, I didn't have insurance. <laughs> there was no such thing then, uh, so who, you laid there till you got better. What amazed yeah. <laughs> In the 2,000 years you've lived, you've seen yes, a lot of changes. Yes, certainly. What is the biggest change you've seen? In 2,000 years, the greatest thing mankind ever devised, that I think, in my humble opinion, is saran wrap. You can put a sandwich in it, you can look through it, you can touch it, you can put it over your face and fool around and everything. It's you, so good, it kills you. You wrap it up. You equate this I love with... it. You can put three olives in it and put a little one. You can put ten sandwiches in it and make a picture in it. Whatever you want, it clings and it sticks. It's you great. equate this with... You can this... look right through it. You equate this with man's discovery of space? That was good. <laughs> That was good. That, that was a good thing. Well, sir, uh, we space. don't have too much more time, but...
this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>